You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly and up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. It is socks in the basement. All brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard the ad at the beginning of the show. They're having an installer job fair. You've heard about Family Waterproofing Solutions now for years here on Socks in the Basement. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and they love working with us. They do great work all around Chicagoland. Northwest Indiana, and now you can work for them because they're expanding, they're growing, because they do such a good job. Everybody wants to do their work at Family Waterproofing Solutions. So make sure you check out that job fair Saturday, February 26th from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. at their home office out of Evergreen Park. You got to bring a valid driver's license, and you can learn more at FamilyDry.com. I have um, a really interesting stat that I kind of want to start the show off with, Ed. Okay. Because I was I was just kind of flipping through all the different stuff uh, around the podcast and like who listens and how people listen. And I thought it was really interesting. The fact that we're on like every podcast player imaginable, the fact that we we have SocksInTheBasement.com, the fact that we're on SocksOn35th.com right now, but still 60% of the downloads in the past year, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then then after that, it's the website at like 5% of the downloads. And then it's like every other podcast player, like 2-3% here and there. Like, I mean, right now, if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the website, you're unique. <laughs> and I, I just find it interesting when they break down the numbers. Yeah, well, you know, it's you got to find your own road, but all roads can lead back to us if you if you take the right directions. We are what happens when your GPS is broken. You come right back here. Like, there's one guy I could tell it's just one listener based upon like I like really looked into it who who listens to us through his Roku. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> so oh, I didn't know you could do that either. I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and check that out. I got a I got a Roku at home. I got a Roku TV. I'm gonna go check that out. Now. Somebody found a way to listen through their Roku. I don't know how that happens. I couldn't tell you how to do it, but I can actually see it here. Uh, another thing that I kind of wanted to point out was, and I'm gonna I'm gonna thump my chest, and I'm gonna reach over and thump your chest here a little bit, and uh, thump the chest of Socks on 35th. Since we merged with them or started this partnership, we're working so closely together with the uh, the website SoxOn35th.com and Socks in the Basement with them. In the last, and that's it's really a month and a half at this point, the, the interviews that we've had, Liam Hendricks, Jake Berger last week, uh, Mike Rodolfo was on Socks on 35th. He, they did a, a written interview with him. Uh, they also had Alexa Ramirez. Yeah, he was on there. Uh, I, I feel like I'm missing one more here. They had Norgay Vera, didn't they? Norgay Vera. That's right. And now Ethan Katz. I want to give you a quick taste. I'm not going to play their whole interview. You can check out the entire thing over at SoxOn35th.com. But Jordan Lazowski, good friend of the show. You've heard him so many times on this show. He's the one doing the interview. And he asked Ethan about the early exit from the postseason. And did the team, did he, did the players, did the pitchers, did anybody learn anything from it that would have a positive impact 
in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely is a very humbling experience, um, but there's definitely, you know, we didn't achieve the ultimate goal, which was to keep playing um, and moving on from that, from that series. But I think we learned a lot about what we need to do better um, overall as a staff. Um, I won't speak for other other departments, but what we need to do a little bit better, um, we are going to continue to strive in spring training and, and make that a priority of being able to conquer some of these things and, and, and take it. I mean, we had some young players that got a chance to pitch in a big situation that um, know they can do better and want to do better and want to prove their abilities to everybody. So it, it's, 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 it's a good stepping stone. Um, it wasn't what we wanted, but it's also is going to help us down the road for what we need to take care of. Now, remember the entire interview available at SoxOn35th.com, exactly where you can see the Socks in the Basement podcast, unless you want to look through all those podcast apps or go to SoxInTheBasement.com. And we've got, what, Jake Berger earlier this week, in case you missed it. Liam Hendricks has been on the show recently, David Sampson, and a bunch of other guests that cover the team. So we've got you covered, even though there's a lockout going on. Somehow, we're finding content, my friend. Yes, we are. And, and, you know, Ethan Katz brings up uh, something that I saw on MLBTradeRumors.com. Uh, you know, another site to go to to get some news, although it's been slow for them, as it has been for everybody. But they decided to take a look at something that they thought was curious, which is Carlos Rodon and his free agent prospects, because there was nothing about him, right? You look at the list of free agent pitchers who got signed, and then Carlos kind of stands out as being sort of the best of what's left. But there was nothing about him, nothing tied about him. So they did a fan poll to see where people thought Rodon would land in terms of years and money. I, you know, the, the results were were pretty much overwhelming. So they gave you an opportunity to say one, two, three, four, or five or more years on the years, and then they gave ranges of below twenty million, twenty million to forty four, forty five to fifty six, fifty seven to seventy seven, seventy eight to hundred, and then over hundred. So he landed very convincingly. 40.58% people said he's going to get a three-year deal. 31.27% of people think it's going to be between $20 million and $44 million. So that means he's going to sign for three years at about somewhere like 11 to $14 million per year, which is pretty doable if you're looking for the level of production he gave you in the first half. That's pretty great. I don't think the White Sox trust him enough that they want to give him a multi-year deal. And and that's the thing. I I just don't think after being around Carlos as long as they have, and they've seen these, these seasons that are constantly cut short and issues with his arm and the inability to get through an entire season. I just don't see the White Sox interested in him anymore. I don't think they're interested in him. I might be crazy, but I don't think they're interested in him. That doesn't mean I wouldn't be interested in bringing him back. I'm just saying, I don't think the team is. I just think they're acting like uh, an organization. It's like, that's cool. We had fun. Awesome time. We're going to go in another direction. I don't know what that direction is. You know, they've, they've got so much to do when this lockout is over. And and I really am starting to believe that we're going to see a shortened spring training and a hurry up and get to opening day type thing. And when the lockout ends, we're going to see like signing, signing, trade, signing, signing, like all over Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. Like, it's going to be nonstop. You're, if you've got notifications set on your phone for any kind, for Twitter, for any sort of news service, your phone is going to explode in your hand. And you'd still, even with an exploded hand, be able to pitch more games than Carlos Rodon will pitch this year. 
We have a couple of people that have gone on SocksInTheBasement.com and left some messages. You can do voicemails, but also you can just leave comments in the contact form. I wanted to go through a few of them. Some of the more recent ones that we've gotten at SocksInTheBasement.com. Sean asked, was Rick Hahn too slow this offseason? I'm afraid that if the lockout ends and there's a salary cap minimum, it will increase the price of the remaining free agents. What stops the three bottom feeders in that case, the Pirates, the Indians, and O's, from just driving up the price to get to the minimum? No, he was not too slow. Because I don't see Rick Hahn, and I don't see Jerry Reinsdorf ever, lockout or no lockout, I don't see him giving Marcus Simeon, who, let's face it, was the only real second-base target on the free agent market that made any sense. Those guys are never going to give him the money in years that a a guy over 30 playing out of position, which is what Simeon was, was, he's a shortstop, moved to second base. I don't see them giving him that kind of money. It takes two people to make a trade, and I don't know. Rick may have been working the trade market, and we just didn't hear anything about it. That seems unlikely. But I think trades are something that come after the free agency, after that free agency feeding frenzy. Now, the question about the the salary floor and what makes the bottom feeders, what prevents them from driving up prices, I don't really think the White Sox are worried about that because they've got they've got to have their eyes on one or two targets, right? They're not looking to build a team of five or six more free agents. We're talking about considering whether or not Michael Conforto or Nick Castellanos or somebody like that makes more sense than putting Vaughn and Sheets back out in right field, right? We're talking about looking at what are the remaining second base options on the free agent market and wondering if a guy like Josh Harrison or a guy like Jed Lowry makes sense as a veteran backup to see if Jake Berger can handle second base or uh, you know, to see if, if there's somebody else young that can take over or just to see if it makes sense to have Larry as, a, as an everyday player, which I, I oh, still no. do think might no, be the don't plan. stop saying that kind of thing. Please, please. I'm sorry, but, I, it, but, but still. But to, to the point, what stops those guys from driving up the prices on the remaining free agents? I don't think it does anything. I think what it does is it just makes the Pirates have to consider adding veteran relievers or adding, uh, you know, some veteran position players to a squad that might have had some real, real quadruple-A type of fringe major league players that were playing there for the minimum. I don't think it's going to make a difference because I don't think you see the Pirates sitting there saying, I'm going to drive the price up on Michael Conforto and cause the White Sox not to be able to sign them if that's who the Sox are after. I have a reoccurring nightmare that keeps me up uh, most nights where Nick Madrigal is hitting near 350 halfway through the year next year, and he's an all-star, and Larry Garcia is hitting about 240 and they're talking about the intangibles that don't show up in the stat line like it's the same thing. Th- that's not a nightmare. That's that's just you reading some tarot cards right there. That's <laughs> I mean, you, You've got a crystal ball next to your bed, my friend. That's what that is. We need a second baseman. Ed Cork and Carey at the park at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark is a Southside tradition. It is the place to be before, during, and after a White Sox game. And right now in the offseason, and anytime there's not a White Sox home game on Mondays, two-for-one burgers. Those are award-winning burgers on that menu. They have ballpark favorites. They got great prices. They have an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wine. It is your home base for White Sox pregame and postgame and viewing parties, and you can rent it out. And then don't forget, Cork and Carrie Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue, where they will be celebrating during the Southside Irish Parade. And that is the spot to be 
And I'm sure they're super excited that that parade is coming back. They're right there in the Beverly neighborhood. When it is warm, they have a great outdoor patio bar that's out there with TVs outside to enjoy whatever sporting event that you're watching. See more and book your next event at CorkandCarry.com. Join us on the phone line right now. He wrote a very interesting article for Sox on 35th. He's been on here before. His name is Adam Kaplan. How are you, Adam? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good, man. You did an article recently on SoxOn35th.com that people could check out called Building the Best White Sox Rotation Over the Past 20 Years. And I noticed that you saw on Twitter, and I think the SoxOn35th uh, account on Twitter put this out, name the uh, all-time best White Sox starting rotation. Drop your all-time White Sox starting rotation. And you were like, well, I'm going with recent history. And and and, I, and you just kind of went with the guys that in, in your lifetime or in the majority of your baseball-watching lifetime that you enjoyed. And then you sat there and thought to yourself, uh, maybe we'll just make a parameter. Last 20 years, and you put out a list. Uh, first of all, how much fun was it to go back and try to figure out the best five seasons by an individual pitcher if you were putting together a, an actual five-man rotation? Yeah, uh, go back to your first one. Like, I said it over the past 20 years. That's just because that's kind of really where my fandom is. Um, I know there's the Sox have had, I mean, they're a historic franchise. They've had a whole bunch of amazing pitchers throughout the past, you know, over 100 years. Um, but my fandom really kind of falls within the past 20. And, uh I mean, it was really interesting going back and doing this exercise, especially with the knowledge that I have now, because there were a handful of pitchers who I could have sworn had better seasons. And I was like, oh, I mean, it was pretty good, but not as good as I thought. And also, on the flip side, it's like, oh, wow, you had an amazing season. I totally did not realize that. So it was definitely like a fun time machine um, preparing for this article. So here, let me give everybody the list in case they didn't see the article, and they can go do the deep dive at SoxOn35th.com. But your ace of staff was 2005's Mark Burley. You had Chris Sale in 2015 as your number two. Then you did an interesting thing. Jose Contreras, the back half of 05 and the front half of 06, which that was a dominant stretch right there. I think any White Sox fan that was paying attention during that time period that was very dominant, his second half of 05 and his first half of 06. You have him as the three-starter. And then you go and you get Carlos Rodon last year, which I, I want to get into a little bit with you. And then Esteban Loiza, who has uh, not had such a good run since uh, 2003, uh, personally, with a 6.9 F war, and he was your five-starter. So the first guy I got to ask you about that's not on the list even though it would be a lot of guys from the 05 season, didn't John Garland just kill it in 05, or do I remember that wrong? So, I was kind of with you. I could have totally sworn that John Garland would like easily make this list or contend for this list. Um, I remember around that time where John Garland like was he was my favorite pitcher, even though like Mark Bowie was going in and Jose Contreras was going in. I gravitated towards John Garland. And I think the reason I did it, and maybe you did it too, was because he had a buttload of wins. I think he had, you know, probably 16, 17 wins, I think. Don't call me on that. But the real surprising thing is that his F4, while it was the best of his career, was still only 3.5. And if you wanted to make this list, 
your F4 needed to be basically at least five. So John Garland had a, had a very good season, but I think maybe us Sox fans uh, are remembering that with rose-colored glasses. So Loiza had a huge year in 03. I remember that. He was an all-star. He almost won the Cy Young there. Uh, like I said, that Contreras stretch uh, at the back end of 05 and 06 was insane. Uh, he was he was maybe the best pitcher in baseball during that time. Chris Sale, his 2015 season, you picked that as his best year. Uh, it's hard for me to argue with that. I figured for sure he was going to make this list, so you didn't surprise me. And and I remember Mark Burley being a stud in 05, and, and your numbers show that. The guy I'm surprised, as, as much as I think he had a great year last year, when you look at the last 20 years, 2021 Carlos Rodon made the top five individual seasons that made up your, your five-man rotation here. Tell me a little bit about Carlos and how he got onto this list. Any Sox fan knows like when Carlos Rodon was pitching last year, he was just incredible. I mean, the two games that kind of stand out and I think help prove the point are the two games he faced uh, Houston this year, where especially the first time around when the Sox were in Houston, uh, everybody struggled, except for Carlos Rodon. Like, we lost that game, but it, it certainly was not because of Rodon. And then he got to face them at home, and it was just incredible. And Obviously, he had the no-hitter, and when he was on, he was, I think, the best pitcher in the American League. I mean, I, I wrote an article very early on in Sox on 35th about the Sox rotation and their chances of winning the Cy Young, and obviously I'm biased, but I would have given it to Rodon. Now, he didn't get it because he didn't have the innings limit, especially compared to people like excuse me, Robbie Ray and uh, Garrett Cole. But when Carlos Rodon was pitching, even down the stretch where he clearly had an innings limit, the team was clearly treating him with kids' gloves on, I thought he was just by far and away the best pitcher in the American League. He was he was so good last year, and it's, it's kind of a shame that he wasn't able to pitch 160 innings. So you had a couple of guys that you listed that just missed the cut. Uh, 2019 Lucas Giolito season, that was a heck of a year. That missed the cut. Uh, Jose Quintana had a season that missed the cut. Danks had a season that missed the cut. Javier Vasquez, uh, I was never a big Javi Vasquez fan, but he had a really good season in 07 that just missed the cut. Bartolo Colon even makes the just missed the cut. Of all the guys that just missed, hardest one to leave off the list. For me, the hardest one to leave off the list was uh, Geo season. Just because, like I said earlier, um, you had to essentially have an F4 or 5 to be considered on this list. Even Jose Contreras, as you split up his 05 and 06 season, he still had an uh, F4 or 05. Lucas Giolito's season was 5.2, technically better than Carlos Rodon's season last year at 4.9. But the reason that I gave it to Rodon was just because he was able to accrue that war over like 40 less innings. No disrespect to Giolito, who was incredible and still is an incredible pitcher. But, man, that his, so far his best season was that 2019 season. And that was it just, just if there was a six-man rotation, he would have made it. Awesome. Well, Adam Kaplan, we enjoy having you on. If you want to check out this entire article, there's all kinds of cool stat dives. Uh, you you, you kind of have the memories flood back to you about these seasons that individual White Sox pitchers had in the last couple of decades. It's called Building the Best White Sox Rotation Over the Past 20 Years. You can check it out at SoxOn35th.com. And Adam, we will talk to you soon. 
Thank you so much. Hopefully sometime in the near future I can come down to the Oak Bar and drink a bourbon with you in person. Anytime, my friend. We'll, we'll do it. Can't Next time. Next time we'll get you down here. I love it. I love it. Ed Village Law Offices helps you protect the people and assets in your life and... Your afterlife with estate planning, wills, trust, powers of attorney. They also do probate, real estate closings, and prenups. Small business services, starting a business, selling, or buying. If you need contracts done, give them a call at 847-656-3600. They are located out in Schaumburg at 1320 Tower Road, and you can check out everything they have to offer at villagelawoffices.com. They have legal services for housing, business, and even dead people. They have the great taglines. They got great taglines in village law offices. I love it. I agree. Yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's good stuff. All right, so I, you know how much I love doing fantasy baseball talk. Yeah, that's because you keep winning our league. That's why I you do. love it so much. I do. I mean, I love it so much that I wrote an article this week in our league that's just for the members of our league, just just 10 people yeah. in the league, where I, I broke down how important the catcher position is and having a good high-end, top-tier catcher is to your playoff chances and your championship chances in that particular league. Like that's how into fantasy baseball that I am at. And I think, I think it's just breaking down the numbers and trying to predict how a guy is going to perform. But I also think that when you translate it to the real world, uh, evaluating players, it's interesting to take a look at how players are being projected in fantasy, because it's really the most heartless way to look at a player. I mean, this is this is the looking from the outside in, no fan affiliation, no city affiliation. It's just, is this guy going to be better than all these other guys that play that same position? And I was flipping through some of the rankings at CBS Fantasy, where we have our league, and they have the tiering for outfielders. When you look at the tiering for outfield-eligible players, here are the names that are in their top-end tier. I want you to think about this. Now, not all these guys play the outfield exclusively. They're going to be eligible for the outfield because they maybe played in it last year. Like Fernando Tatis is there. Shohei Otani is is in there, even though, you know, he plays sometimes in the outfield. Sometimes he's dh Sometimes he's pitching. Okay, Juan Soto's out there on that list. All three of those guys in the elites. Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, Ronald Acuna, and Luis Robert. The guys who have to sit down and figure out who are the players that if you can get them on your team, they are going to have a monster year and propel you to the fantasy baseball championships. Put Luis Robert in that category. I, the Luis Robert hype continues the build and I'm excited and I'm here for it. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, and, and it may, look at the, you're right. Look at the company he's in. He is in with Fernando Tatis, who Sox fans do not need to be reminded is an absolute superstar. Juan Soto, who is, when he's healthy, pretty much the biggest producer in fantasy baseball. Shohei Otani, who is the MVP. Uh, Bryce Harper, who is obviously an upper echelon producer in fantasy baseball. Mike Trout, who will come back strong and has been considered to be the best player in the game. Mookie Betts, one of the best players in the game. Kyle Tucker, who is underrated, in my opinion, and I was kind of glad to see that he was up there of the Astros, but... Tucker and Acuna and Robert are those three guys that are basically gunning for the Harper, Trout, Betts trio, right? Those are the guys that are taking those guys' places they age out of this. And Soto's, you know, already there, but he's, he's younger than those guys. So if you're not 
excited about what Luis Robert represents to this team. This is the start of the same thing when we saw Frank Thomas coming up, right? And you knew that there was something special about him right away, but it wasn't right away that you really got a full taste of it. I think that's what's coming next is we've had the, we've had the little snippets of it. We had the feeling of it that, and now you got that anticipation, but we're, we're getting to the point where you're going to be turning on the TV to watch these guys, or you're going to be sitting down in your seats at the park to watch these guys. And every time Robert comes up, you're going to have that expectation that he's going to do something amazing or special, or even when he does something that's fairly mundane, it's going to be exciting. And that's, you know, that's something that we don't get often with any team. And this is the White Sox time to have this guy become that type of star. All right. So now they have their breakouts, their bust and their sleepers list. Uh, There is not a sleeper. There's a breakout and there's a bust on the Chicago White Sox. So which one do you want to hear first? You want to hear the bad news, which is the projected bust. And they put this player just behind one other player on the list, meaning they they feel pretty sure. They normally, like when they list them, the higher up on the list of the, of the breakouts and busts and sleepers, the higher up is the more confident that they are. So there's only one player in all of baseball that they're more confident is going to have a bust of a year besides this White Sox player. And then we have a breakout who is their featured breakout for all of Major League Baseball, who happens to be a White Sox player. So do you want to start with the bad news and get to the good, or do you want to end on a downer on this show? Nope. Let's let's get the bad news out of the way first, because I don't have much to say about Sebi Zavala, and I'm surprised that they put him on the list like that. <laughs> no, no. You know, and I, the moment I say it, it's just going to... Some White Sox fans just can't no, handle when you say that this guy is not uh, going to be... He's not going to be the best player on the team this year. Uh, Jose Abreu is listed as a bust by CBS Fantasy. And I'm going to read what they say. I don't want you to panic here, but this is what they say. Abreu is aging remarkably well, and his underlying numbers still hold up in a lot of ways. He's still ranked in the 89th percentile in both averaging, exit, velocity, and hard hit rate in his age 34 season. However, you can't outrun father time forever, and 2021 was a clear step back from his MVP-winning 2020 short season. We've talked about that. It was much more in line with the decline that we saw in 2019. The lineup he plays in and his approach all but ensures that Abreu will drive in a lot of runs, but that's really the only place he consistently stands out at this point. Entering his age 35 season, there's always a chance the bottom falls out. I I don't read this as the bottom's falling out on Jose Abreu this year, but I am reading it as we are in the twilight of the good years we're going to get from Jose Abreu. And, and, and when I read this, the only thought that kept running through my mind was, is this the best year? Is this the year we literally have the best chance in this early window with this team that I think is going to last and have its ups and downs over the next decade. But with this current group, is this the best year to win a world series? Because what will Abreu be the next year? Will he, will he be with us? You know I mean? Like, like, so like, that's the thing here, Jose Abreu, this could be the big final thing here before he becomes more of an average player And I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, because to me, I don't think that I'm reading that as he's going to fall off this year, but this is, this is a site that heartlessly looks at Jose Abreu. And we've looked at the 2019 and the 2021 stats, and we've seen this slight decline that continues with him. 
And so they see it too, and they think the decline continues. Well, what the best hope I think is that what they're really referring to is the situation of where a player's on-field performance in real games is more important to his team and is more valuable and productive to his team than what his stats show or how stats are compiled for fantasy baseball purposes. So what they're really saying is you're going to see fewer 4-for-4, 3-for-4 games. You're going to see a lot of 2-for-4, 1-for-4 games. You're going to see more strikeouts. You're going to see you know, him grounding into more double plays, things like that. But he still, as far as watching him in real games, that clutch factor, the it factor that makes him a leader on the team, that makes him a big run producer, you know, as he's historically been, he's still going to come up in RBI situations and find a way to get a run home and help the Sox win games. But if you're counting on him to bring you a fantasy baseball championship, he's going to slide back to the pack because he's the days of him pushing 300 as an average, pushing for 40 bombs, those days are are gone. And, and in a fantasy baseball sense, that's what happens. But to answer your question about is this you know win now because you don't know when Jose Abreu's bottom is going to fall out? Yes. The answer is yes. The man is 35 years old, and he's a slugging first baseman. He's a right-handed hitter. At some point, those guys fade, and they fade really, really fast. Think about the end of Paul Canerico's career where you know he almost goes from being still a viable everyday player to doing that little victory lap that he did in his last season where he's barely even on the field. Yeah, he, he still ranks in the top 10, though he is towards the bottom when they rank uh, projections for first baseman and their offensive production uh, next year. So I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world, but I think we'll see some decline. OK, let's get to the let's get to the good news here. The breakout that they have right at the top of their breakout page. The guy that they feel so good about is going to have a huge monster year. Get ready for it. Aloy Jimenez. We've seen flashes from Aloy Jimenez, it reads, but have yet to see what he can do when everything is clicking over a full season. That was never going to be the case in 2021 when he tore his left pectoral in spring training, and he only played 55 games and apparently struggled with his timing during that stretch. He wound up batting only 249 with 10 home runs and a 740 OPS. If we eliminate Jimenez's injury-riddled 2021, he was already trending towards a breakout. 31 home runs in over just 122 games as a rookie in 2019 and 14 home runs and an 891 OPS in a shortened 2020 season. They actually compare him to Vlad Guerrero. And the year that he had last year, they believe you could see Jimenez reach that kind of a year. They are really high on the breakout of Aloy. I get tingles as I talk about it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I get tingles, Ed. Tingles everywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy was seriously hurt. I mean, the fact that he came back at all last year, I thought was astounding. Like, I, I, I fully, when he went down and they described the injury... I was ready for them to not have him on the field at all in 2021. And he came back and he wasn't the same guy, but I mean, still, you know, he was productive, right? Uh, so give him an off season to heal, uh, give him a chance to, 
you know, rebuild himself. And yeah, he's, we're talking about him going into really his first full season because he was called up in 2019. 2020 was, was what it was. It was weird, weird little year, but this is his first, going to be his first full real season. And the first season that he's coming into fully, hopefully where he's going to play it with the pressure on from the start, because last year, by the time he came in, and by the time he came back, really, if you think about it, the Sox were in pretty good control of the division. So he was able to sort of step in and help, but the pressure wasn't on him. And when you and I have talked about him in the past, about him having that clutch gene, you know, that, that thing where you feel like he's the guy you want up in that moment, whatever that moment is, he's the guy you want to have up. That plus him being healthy, you could see him, I could see him having a Vlad-like year in some respects, but I could also see him being a guy that if he gets on a real heater with the lineup that's going to be around him and the guys are going to be around him, if he gets some sort of protection and he gets guys out in front of him, uh, you know, he could take that RBI crown away from Jose Abreu very easily and just become the guy that just drives in runs nonstop. Well, think about it this way. If these projections hold up that we're reading here, okay? I mean, if these are pretty close. And, and you know, and and just like anything else that you read, people have their reasons for projections. Sometimes they come true, sometimes they don't. Overwhelmingly, though, normally projections are more true, I think, than false. Otherwise, none of these guys would have jobs. We wouldn't read anything that they actually write because we wouldn't care because they're always wrong, right? So if this happened the way that it's being outlined, any Abreu decline, you wouldn't even be that worried about it, would you? If you got Luis Robert doing what they're projecting in Aloy Jimenez, I mean, first of all, those two guys are batting three, four, right? Or they're 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 both in the in the three, four, five spot at some point. Maybe even have Grandal middle, middle of the order, yeah. And they're surrounded by Jose Abreu and 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 Yasmani Grandal, probably right. Right, exactly. So I mean, like you would probably see Abreu, like we've said before, move a little bit more down the lineup if these guys come through, and that's what you want as a White Sox fan. Honest to goodness. If somebody asked me, what do I want to see the most from the offense in 2022 is I want to see the next step taken by Jimenez and the next step taken by Robert to the point where some of these guys start to take those prime spots in the lineup away from the veteran that's held it for so long, not because he's bad, not because I don't want Jose Abreu to do well, but because these kids have now taken the next step. That's what we need if we're going to win a World Series. And that's what I'm hoping for in 2022. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.